Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the Fuds on Film podcast. I am Scott Morris. I'm delighted to be here with you. Um, also, probably delighted is my good friend, Drew Davendale. Hello. Well, you say delighted, but... Mm. Well, yes, actually, hello. You're all <laughs> lovely people. Apart from you, you know who you are. Today, we are rounding off the uh, zombie apocalypse theme of our previous episode with a little compare and contrast of two films that look at the lighter side of being eaten, I suppose there must be one, uh, with Shaun of the Dead and Night of the Comet. I believe the lighter side is that you will in fact be lighter. <laughs> so we'll kick things off today with, I think, probably unarguably the more famous of the two, with uh, Shaun of the Dead. So Drew, would you like to give us a little bit of a rundown on that? Oh, for God's sake, he's got an arm off! <laughs> An episode of their sitcom Spaced, in which Simon Pegg's Tim hallucinates fighting off a zombie horde after an extended, speed fueled Resident Evil 2 session on the PlayStation, provided the germ of the idea for Pegg and director Edgar Wright's peeing to George Romero's zombie movies. Marketed as a romantic comedy with zombies, though more accurately really it's a bromantic comedy with zombies, Sean of the Dead, co-written by Peg and Wright, tells the tale of Sean, played by Peg, a sales worker without much drive or purpose, who spends most of his time down the pub or playing games with his friend from childhood, Ed, Nick Frost, or the rest of the time disappointing his girlfriend, Liz, Kate Ashfield, or his mum, Barbara, played by Penelope Wilton. When a radiation-contaminated probe returning from space passes over southeast England, Sean finds himself in the middle of a zombie apocalypse and must save his girl, his mum and his friend. As this is both an homage to and pastiche of classic zombie films, particularly those of Romero, the actual plot and events therein are pretty familiar. But, as with all of the best parodies and pastiches, Shaun of the Dead comes from a place of both deep familiarity with and, crucially, affection and respect for the genre which it is parodying. Something, for example, the Wyans brothers ought to have considered at some point. There is also a distinctly British spin put in things, beyond the T references before any Americans listening make that joke, though those are in there to be sure. So many American films have the survivors as A. Instantly gun-toting and B. Crack shots. Sean and Ed's first encounter with the Walking Dead sees them grabbing handfuls of kitchen implements, amongst which a toaster and a mug tree, (laughs) and then immediately demonstrating them as being completely incapable of hitting a barn door. The usual breakdown of the dynamic of the group of survivors is present and accounted for, but here it presents itself as name-calling and petty bickering, which is both very funny and very realistic. This sort of casual, believable banter is one of the reasons that other British films, like Dog Soldiers for instance, work so well, and so it is here. The film also has fun with the idea of the slow and shuffling zombie, using the time to generate more moments of comedy. The interplay between the core group is really very entertaining, with everyone in that group being given a moment to shine and deliver at least one really funny line. From Barbara's, they were a bit... bitey to the great Dylan Moran's David's Lizzie, how can you put your faith in a man you spectacularly bin for being unreliable? A man whose idea of a romantic night spot and an impregnable fortress are the same thing. Though it's Frost and Peg who get the lion's share. This is all brought together with Edgar Wright's distinctive directing and editing style, alongside his always entertaining choreographing of action with music. Poor old John in the pub. 
Also, see Wright's recent baby driver for the apogee of this technique. Peck and Wright's script is, as well as very funny, clever, with lots of moments of foreshadowing in what, on first viewing, would seem entirely normal and unremarkable lines. Shaun of the Dead is, as I have mentioned, a loving taking of the piss of classic zombie films that absolutely stands alone as a comedy horror film, but rewards those familiar with the genre with plenty of extra jokes and references. All of which, in the end, leaves us with two questions. One, should you watch it? That's an easy one to answer. Yes, very much so. And two, can dogs look up? (laughs) That's a question for the ages. Yeah, you know, I've never been the world's biggest fan of Shaun of the Dead. Um, I like it a lot less than Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. which which I think is just an incredible film. But this, I'm not sure I've actually seen it since I watched it in cinema 14 years ago or whatever it is. Um, and I thought it was all right then and haven't really thought about it all that much since. And I'm, I'm reasonably sure I've not actually seen it until this time round. I did enjoy it quite a bit more this time, I believe, if my faulty memory can <laughs> go back that far. Perhaps that's just having watched it so close to mainlining that many zombie films uh, for the previous episode, then maybe it's given me a bit more of a context around it. But uh, it was certainly always quite funny. I'm also not the world's biggest fan of space or anything like that. I think it's fine. It's funny enough, but I'm not like a huge super fan of of it or anything like that. But yeah, I I did enjoy the the banter and interplay between between not Johnny Vegas and Simon Pegg. Uh, There's lots of nice little touches, uh, nice little callbacks. Uh, I I like the sort of, I guess it's a spaced callback really, but the uh, the kind of alternate troop of survivors going another way. That was a quite a nice little touch. There's lots of really nice little touches all the way throughout it that make it quite a, certainly an easy thing to recommend to people if you haven't seen it already. I don't know how, how different it is in culture between sort of here and America in a sense that uh, this went this was fairly successful in, in the UK I think fairly well popularised I think most people would now know about Shaun of the Dead I don't know if that's the case in America I, I expect it's maybe a little bit more obscure over there but certainly for UK bods it's probably a bit more commonplace and it's certainly really well worth watching if you haven't done so already Yeah, I know that there's quite a cult following at least for the Edgar Wright and Siren Peg Cornetto trilogy of which is this is the first entry the very famous now Three Flavours Cornettos yeah. whether it was much more widely known than that I suspect not I was similar to you in that when I first saw this I thought it was alright I have watched it a few times since because I've done a few viewings of the whole Cornetto trilogy together and I've mm. actually liked it more each time I've seen it and this most recent viewing yeah it's no exception. I was I was finding myself laughing a lot throughout it. I can see that because for a for a fairly for a light-hearted knockabout thing, it's actually quite a layered and dense script yeah, for exactly. a, this sort of comedy uh, outing. So it's, yeah. uh, it probably would reward that. I think. Yeah, especially because, well, some of it is like I say. There's just some simple dialogue things about, for instance, one of the the early things is Nick Frost saying, "Oh well, I'll just go and live in the shed then." You know, it's like, <laughs> think, uh, legitimate thing to say, that's what actually happened. So that's kind yeah. of interesting. And so just, I mean, that's, it's not like a major plot point. It's not particularly important or anything. It's just, there's just nice little touches like that. And a lot of Edgar Wright's work has a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the background. Mm-hmm. As well as just, like, the, say, the choreography with music and his framing of things. Yeah. And the way it's edited, it's always been really good. And then it gets better. But you see, it really, this is. It's actually his second feature film, but he did one like nine years before for £15,000, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, which 
how many is mum and dad have probably seen and not how many more yeah. people. Yeah, you, you see the beginnings of that there. And then there's, if you've seen the rest of the Cornetto trilogy as well, there are little bits that tie into that, that kind of running gags that you're seeing beginning here, like the fences in Hot Fuzz, a very famous scene in Fences, but in Shaun of the Dead, yeah. it's um, him failing to do it, yeah. uh, to jump over a fence successfully. And there's a lot of stuff there, and it just builds and... And also, the more zombie films you see, the more things you might pick up on. Yeah. Uh, and some of that I got from the beginning, but there's like, nice little touches. Like, you just hear snippets of news reports in the background about rage-infected monkeys and things like yeah. that, and <laughs> all the other different explanations there's been in various zombie films for why the zombies are there. Yeah, it's just fun. It's In one way, you can think it's absolutely throwaway. It's just really quality comedy, and I, I think it does actually reward repeat viewing. And I just want to say again, just how much I enjoy just that sort of... It just feels to me, and I, I don't know if it's just a British thing or not, or just maybe the way British films are made rather than be particularly British. But that... Zombie films always have, like, the survivors arguing and they fall out and things. But it, in most zombie films, it always feels like this is a, happening in a filmy sort of way. In Shaun of the Dead, it feels like it's happening in a, a real sort of way because it's just like needling and bickering and people calling each other twats and things rather than mm. <laughs> um, some sort of grand argument. It feels just more like the way people actually talk when they're friends together. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what it's bored to say. It's, just, it's interesting. Just quickly to go back to your point about it, whether it was successful in the United States or not, given film's box office is can be relatively limited in this country certainly compared to the huge sums mm-hmm. you often get in the United States. I'm guessing it must have had some success there, maybe the rest of the world too. And we come back to the theme we mentioned in our previous episode that at least for the successful zombie movies, they tend to be a hell of an investment money-wise because both this and the film we'll talk about in a minute, relatively small budgets, the other film particularly so, and then making a lot of money on top. This had a budget of £6 million, and ended up making 30. Yeah. Good zombie films are really cheap to make, but can make a heck of a lot of money in return. So a really common theme in uh, mm-hmm. these films we've watched for some reason. Yes. I, don't know, I always remember Shaun of the Dead as being one of the few films I've ever got hate mail for review of. Um, which is, <laughs> and it was factually incorrect hate mail as well. <laughs> Because they said, oh, they didn't say anything about a comet coming back and starting this. It's like, yes, they did. Six minutes in, pay more attention, haters. Come yeah, back when you're correct. That's <laughs> right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this thing has... Because it's, it's, it's passing over southeast England, which is where they are. Yes, and it's a, you know, obviously a direct callback to the Romero stuff. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Some people, you just can't get the critics these days. I don't know. I, sometimes people just say the strangest things. Do you, I do remember, I mean, a, a complete aside, but just because you brought up, I remember you also getting hate mail for a review of that terrible Paul Walker film, Running Scared. Oh, yeah, yeah. In which somebody criticised <laughs> you and told you that it was a mainstream cult hit, and my, <laughs> that sentence <laughs> still breaks my mind to this day. I mean, I can see why you would defend Running Scared, because Paul Walker is so dreamy, <laughs> but he's also in a terrible film, so... A mainstream cult hit there. That's, um, that's, <laughs> I'm never forgetting that line anytime soon. <laughs> so, though, I think Shaun of the Dead is without doubt the most famous zombie film parody pastiche, whatever particular term you want to ascribe to it. But there was one from exactly 20 years before that that until 
pulling together material for these two podcasts I'd never even heard of, but was once again deeply successful, you know, pulling out a box office of $14.4 million from a budget of $700,000, and that was 1984's A Night of the Comet. So, Scott, let's hear about that, please. Yes, more comets, more problems. Uh, Zombies weren't perhaps entirely played out in 1984. Romero released Day of the Dead the year later, but there'd certainly been enough of them that people were starting to have a bit of fun with the genre. People like Tom Everthart, writing and directing Night of the Comet, which I'd never heard of, but Wikipedia assures me was a successful outing that's become a cult classic, influencing the likes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, already off to a bad start then. <laughs> it wasn't just me that had that thought. <laughs> yes. That's good to know. So this is who we blame. Yes. A particularly bothersome comet passes close to Earth around Christmas time, seemingly vaporising the majority of people on Earth, unbeknownst to teen cinema worker Regina Reggie Belmont, played by Catherine Mary Stewart, who'd spent the night safely enclosed in a steel projection booth away from whatever agent has rendered most people to dust, and turned the remainder, seemingly, to zombies. Kind of, sort of. She emerges into this strange new world and attempts to track down her sister, Sam, played by Kelly Maroney. The two drawn to the apparent broadcast location of a DJ that turns out to be just a recording, but does bring them to trucker Hector Gomez, Robert Beltran. And together they must face the dangers of this new Los Angeles from the shop shelf stalkers. Why did I write that sentence? That is so hard to say. Shop shelf stalkers turned the criminal kingpins to a team of scientists that might hold the key to survival, but perhaps only theirs. Now, it turns out, I do not care about this film in the slightest. It is not terrible, but it's also not particularly funny or interesting, and aside from the oddity of featuring the now retroactively stereotyped fellow off the crap Star Trek show, I have little to nothing to say about it. So, in a remarkable turn of events, I'll just shut up and say there's no real reason to save this from its obscurity. Hard pass, however, would be too extreme, so soft pass, I guess? Didn't get much from this, really. It was there, it was fine. And I don't particularly regret watching this. It's just that I actually thought, in the first couple of minutes, I thought there was some real promise, and I thought, ah, oh, okay, that this film has got me quite early. I think I'm going to enjoy this just because mm. there's the the film begins with everybody preparing for this appearance of this comet that hasn't been in 65 million years, and the suggestion in the opening narration is that. It was this comet and not the asteroid in the Yucatan that in fact killed the dinosaurs and presumably turned some of the dinosaurs to zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that would have been a better film. Zombie dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> Basically the whole world's preparing to watch this and it's going to be entertaining. And then you have the people at the cinema where Reggie works selling $9.99 dealy boppers. Yes. And there's, there's a seven ninety nine model which is considerably less appealing. Uh, <laughs> and that, that was just kind of ridiculous enough. Um that I thought, okay, yeah, I'm intrigued here. And and like know the fact that whoever wrote the film doesn't understand how high score tables work, but that's <laughs> that's my own personal hang up of <laughs> Rather Wait, than it being a big problem. <laughs> I'm happily on board with building initial sympathy for a character by just having them being good at Tempest. That's fine with me. I'm on board with that. <laughs> And then it goes cuts back to the home situation and Reggie's sister Sam's there and she's um, arguing with her stepmom and her stepmom slaps her and then she slaps her back. Then her stepmom decks her. I thought, oh, <laughs> right, it's that sort of film. Okay, yes, this this is promising. And then he more or less drops all of that for the rest of the 90-minute running time. I was like, oh, yeah. oh okay. What, what's happening? 
Not nothing. Oh, okay. And yeah, they can't seem to make up their mind about what the zombies look like because the first zombie you see is the only zombie you see like that for the rest of the film. Yeah, it's really weirdly inconsistent, right? There's one proper zombie, and then all the rest of them just seem to have something weird going on with their eyes, but are otherwise normal human beings. Yeah, well, but they're called zombies. I don't get it. <laughs> they've got kind of ruined faces eventually. Um, the, the guys in the department store are probably the biggest example of it. Mm. That they're head and like it's degenerative so the radiation or whatever from the comet will cause this eventually and they begin to look a wee bit like the without the goggly eyes the the aliens from they live is kind of heading towards that way mm. but the first zombie you see is just a straight up grey-faced romero like zombie well, mm. make up your mind <laughs> and yeah it's just again it's not bad and there are a couple moments of humor but my god is it slow yeah, it really flails about, and I think it, I could have done with seeing them like do the sort of traditional zombie apocalypse stuff. But as soon as these scientists appear out of nowhere with their strange agendas that don't, that's never really particularly explained. They're trying to drain everyone's blood. I guess they're vampire scientists. I'm not sure. Anyway, that, that's all just a bit strange, and none of those people can act as well. So it was a bit of a pain to watch any of that stuff from the second half of the film. Yeah, it's strange because. They seem to have been in some sort of underground bunker that got some of the radiation or whatever in. Like, okay. And then they want to use people's blood to create a serum to save themselves. But I don't really understand what the setup was because were they responsible for the comet or did they know somehow that this was going to happen because they were apparently ready for it? I didn't quite understand yeah. what was going on there. Uh, I mean, it did successfully sell me a dummy in that I thought that that Audrey woman was evil and the fact she was not um, right. though she just didn't want to share her resources that's why she didn't want people coming and being brought to this base but yeah they seem to have gone from I don't know it's like they'd already been set up as an enterprise of evil scientists to, I don't know I don't know this film is very <laughs> um, inconsistent and then just, it just drags so much for a 90 minute film it really really drags I mean I could have done without the five minute month shopping montage or maybe even a 10 minute shopping <laughs> montage or the whole maybe this is a very 1980s thing but the whole minute they spend watching the younger sister get into her underwear <laughs> really it's just yeah. so crass and uh, i don't know i don't know why this has got a, a cult following at all and yeah, it's really baffling, but I can't think of why anyone would want to be digging this up. I mean, it's, 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 it was inoffensive enough. I can see people at the time watching it going, yeah, that was fine, and then never thinking about it again. Yeah. But for anyone to try and exhume it now, no, hiding to nothing. There are a couple of positives. I, mean, I actually do quite like Catherine Mary Stewart. Yeah, she's, she's quite appealing here. And I mean, she's actually she's going to get short shrift because she only gets second billing to Robert, uh, to Robert Beltran. So I came up to call him Roberto Beltran. Robert Beltran mm-hmm. gets the lead billing despite the fact she's front and centre in the film from the beginning. But yeah. um, I guess that's a fairly minor nigga given that she is front and centre through most of the film. So yeah, she's quite appealing, but the leap from what her character does or more importantly doesn't do to, well, I never enjoyed this, but some a characters can like kick ass like Buffy the Vampire or something, that's quite a leap. Yeah. I'm not sure how exactly it, your man was inspired to create Buffy from her. It's less of a leap from that to the film version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's a bit more ball ratty, I guess, than would later show up, I suppose. I always forget that film exists. Yeah. 
it's probably for the best for the most part, but I keep meaning to go back to it. I think I, I've watched it once out of general interest and I wasn't particularly impressed with it. But in the uh, the TV show Buffy, I can, I, can, I can like in small doses, but it would be good if their seasons were like three episodes maybe, because that's about my limit. <laughs> you know, After that, I get a bit annoyed by all the characters and their constant quipping. Uh, but in small doses, I kind of like it. But yeah. As a bit of a tangent. Um, yes, it's th- this film, uh, yeah, is a, is a hell of a jump going from that to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I think most people would be familiar with, with the TV series that was on for seven, eight years, whatever it was. But it's probably closer to the, the film version. So, yeah, I'm just puzzled as to the, the regard in which this film's held. Again, it's not bad. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to call it a bad film. And they've done quite an impressive thing with the small budget they had. They actually, it doesn't look like a $700,000 film. No, no. And... I mean, there's some entertaining set pieces, and there is some some humour in it. But, yeah, the cult classic, I don't get it. Also, yeah. uh, there was a variety review of it in release, which says that the director creates a visually arresting B-picture in the neon primary colours of the cult-hit liquid sky. Uh, really? Visually arresting? All they've done is basically um, filmed every outdoor scene with a red gradiated filter, and it's yeah. horrible. <laughs> Yes, it's again a lot of that's money, and it's like it's meant to be the whole world's covered in this red dust, which is the dissolved bodies of people, and it's come from this comet. Okay, but the only outdoor bits that aren't shot with a red gradiated filter, the ones that are just shot with a straight red filter, it's, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's less of a visual style and more of a graphics card fault, isn't it? <laughs> Guess it's there's some interest to be had, and in, for this to be one of the the first main attempts at doing a pastiche of the genre but as a successful pastiche of the genre it doesn't compare to Shaun of the Ted not in any way shape or form no not at all no I'm just looking at the Wikipedia article first about some of their responses at the time the New York Times called it a good natured end of the world B-movie whose humour augments rather than upstages the mechanics of the melodrama like, really? There wasn't really much melodrama or humour, but okay. They've given that review to the student and they've tried to impress people by using big words that they think might fit the occasion, but I don't think there's not an awful lot of melodrama in this one. And then Neil Gaiman writing in 1985 that the film was one of the most amusing, witty, imaginative and thought-provoking films I've seen that was made with no budget and is also cheap exploitation. I'm I'm figuring this was like the second film Neil Gaiman had ever seen by that point then. (laughs) Hang on, let me say, Neil, just doing a Google search, Neil Gaiman drugs. <laughs> yes, at that point he was on all the drugs, so that's why that explains a lot of that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, if you want to watch a pastiche of zombie films, watch Shaun of the Dead. If you want to watch another one, watch Shaun of the Dead again, because I, I <laughs> assure you, your second reviewing of that will be considerably more rewarding than a first viewing of Night of the Comet. Yes, and I honestly don't think that's just because this is like now my 16th zombie film in the last fortnight. <laughs> because it's... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because it's just not very good. <laughs> no. No, it's not. Yeah. Strangely, I don't know if actually... I we're probably talking about this film more we did with Shaun of the Dead, weirdly, but... It's just... There's kind of strange things about a film too. They seem to make a, a big deal of Reggie being irritated by someone else's name daring to be on the high score table in the arcade machine at the start and yeah. then for drop that for the whole film just for it to be 
effectively a throwaway line at the end. That's- yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, if there's tons of really great, well-executed callbacks in Shaun of the Dead, there's one massively ham-fisted, clunky, <laughs> what on earth was that callback in this film? That is exactly, a, yeah. If you want to compare and contrast, that's the biggest compare and contrast there is of them. It's like, how to do it well, and how to do it absolutely abominably. <laughs> <laughs> and pointlessly. Massively, massively pointlessly. <laughs> yes, but it does go to show the power of being good at Tempest. So I <laughs> heartily recommend everyone go back and practice the uh, Vector Classic. It's a bit unfair on Catherine Mary's too, though, I think. She, was it the night she the last Starfighter? Oh, no, the same year. But she went to do the last Starfighter after this, in which she just got to be the person watching someone else being good at video games. A step <laughs> down. Yes. It doesn't even have all that much fun with the tropes of the genre, either. Shaun of the Dead's revelling in it, and it's got things too that that just show that they love the film like for instance sean's mum is called barbara and ed says over the phone don't worry we are coming to get you barbara mm-hmm. which is like yeah i like that because i know it's reference to night of the living dead but it feels like in night of the comet they didn't even bother trying that stuff yeah <laughs> but yeah you're right it's just the that's a good comparison it's like trying like layers and callbacks and stuff works really well in Shaun of the Dead and but it's completely pointless in Night of the Comet which is well as I described Night of the Comet not yes. awful but largely <laughs> pointless and not not once did they, they even approach the question of whether dogs can look up <laughs> markedly inferior in every way yes so I guess that brings us to the end then yes so if you if you have any thoughts on on this episode or any other episodes or any thoughts in general but that in some way pertain to us you know not just all of your general thoughts that would be a bit much um, <laughs> you can contact us we'd like to hear from you you can do that in several ways you can contact us by email that's podcast at com. you can contact us through facebook facebook.com slash fudsonfilm or the most straightforward way is through twitter the dumpster fire that Twitter is, we will still we still use it because we don't know, feel trapped there. But uh, it is twitter.com slash fuzzonfilm or at fuzzonfilm, which is a better way to say Twitter handles, but I haven't slept. Um, <laughs> I, I am becoming a zombie myself. <laughs> and I guess that's it for now. We'll be back soon with our intermission podcast. Uh, until then, be excellent to each other. Ta-da! 